WPRU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. Voices. 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 A community audio magazine only here on WERU every Tuesday afternoon at 4 and Saturdays at 3. This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning. It's uh, Tuesday morning, the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock, time for WERU's own boating show for people contemplating things naval. This is Boat Talk with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. It's a, uh, a uh, nautically oriented but pretty wide base uh, range of things. And Mike and I are two old ancient mariners who go by the philosophy that if your boat has leaks, make vichyssoise. Uh, I'm still working on that one. Vichyssoise. You know what Vichyssoise is? Vichyssoise, yes. Yeah. It's well, a... you and I are commentators. There you go. So what else did it take? Wow. <laughs> Possibly somewhat deeper than he looks, you know. <laughs> go figure. So anyway, boat talk. Uh, you know, uh, often an embarrassment of riches. Today we don't have uh, an overly planned out session here. And, and our friend uh, Giffy Full has gone south for the winter. Sorry to say, Captain Giffy Full, the yep. uh, uh, senior marine surveyor of the Boat Talk team. Uh, we love to have Giffy around yep. whenever he is in town. And, and uh, we like to think Giffy makes us look good, as well as the fact that Giffy seems to like doing the radio, you know, yeah, which is kind of, kind of a joy. Yeah, he, he definitely lends a voice of authority that yeah. you and I definitely lack. <laughs> yeah, Giffy's in his mid-80s and, and probably one of the uh, most um, experienced boat surveyors in the world, if not, if not certainly just America. And, uh, like I say, just a, a delight to be around. He's one of these people when he says something, you kind of listen to him. And uh, just a, a, always a good just to be around Giffy. We had a discussion last month that started off on watchkeeping a boat. Uh, there was a collision oh, down in Buzzards yeah. Bay this summer where a, a big powerboat hit a small sailboat. Somebody on the small sailboat was killed. I believe this was in the middle of the day with no fog or anything. And uh, Giffy wanted to know more about that. And ensued a uh, discussion of keeping watch and how you can't ever read on watch was Giffy's thing, and I've thought a lot about that since yeah, then. Yeah, you caught some flack from Giffy on that one. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that since then because I've been doing a lot of watch keeping since, since we talked. Uh, very, very busy uh, last month or two delivering boats. And reading uh, less? No. Uh-oh. Jeez, to go on a boat <laughs> delivery without at least two, without two books, it would, it would scare me badly. Hmm. Um, you know, on a really good boat delivery, you got some time to kill. And on a bad one, uh, you know, which I'd, I'd like to point out, I've got to the point where I like the bad ones even 
Even, even when it sucks, I kind of like it now. Time definitely goes faster when you're standing at the wheel fighting all the wake waves. But Well, speaking of time, that's an interesting thing. Uh, we've gen- generally been going two of us, uh, you know, uh, the last uh, month or so, uh, anywhere between here and uh, New York, say. And uh, so anyway, three hours on and three hours off. And there's nothing better than you've just finished your watch and you have three hours to yourself. And it's all your time. And really, nobody can bother you. There's probably no, nothing he's going to need, the other fella. And it's all, all your time. You can lay down, sleep. You can, you can eat. You can, you, know, you can do anything you want. It's, your, it's a good time. But it goes so quickly. As com- compared to your on-watch time, you've just got on-watch. Now you have three hours until you can lay down and have your own time again. Yeah, especially that when you're on watch from like... Three o'clock in the morning to six o'clock. So much slower. Oh yeah. Than the time you spend in your berth, you know, and it's just uh, the paradox of how on such a small vessel time can pass differently in 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 the same in the same boat in mm-hmm. two areas. It just it surprises me. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, got to got to spend a lot of watch time uh, just recently cruising back and forth, and uh, thought about Giffy quite a bit. Now there's times where you don't really. I have time to read a book, or it, it would take your mind out of the game. Um, we came by in a little, uh, it was a Morris 36-day sailor, and we brought it up from uh, Mattapoise at Massachusetts. And, and because it doesn't have any lifelines, it, it doesn't have a particularly large uh, gas tank, doesn't have a stove, no, no, hot, no hot beverages, no right. hot, yeah. Hmm. So anyway, uh, we, we came, instead of coming from the tip of Cape Cod straight across to to Mount Desert Island, which is a path that will take you maybe 50, 60 miles offshore across the Gulf of Maine. That's the way we normally mm-hmm. come. Uh, in this one, we came up the shore. We went to Cape Ann, Gloucester, uh, Cape Ann, north of Boston. And then we went to, uh, just off the Isle of Shoals. And then we went to uh, Halfway Rock, just off of Portland. And then we went to Monhegan, and, and like, we come right in shore. So here I am off of Portland Harbor at, at uh, 3 a.m. in the morning, dodging ships and tugs and, and uh, barges and fishing boats and stuff, and, and thinking, poor me. I, I mean, you know, certainly not a chance to read. <laughs> uh, very busy out there and cold and kind of wet. It's October and stuff, and, you, you know, like I say, poor me, not even any time to read tonight. Mm-hmm. So. But I want to talk more about Giffy with that. You can maintain, uh, you know, uh, a page or two at a time. You can... Even when you are kind of busy, kind of breaks things up sometimes. I remember one time I was off of Newport, and it was middle of the day, and everything looked to be fairly clear. And I, um, surprisingly, up about a hundred yards off the port bow, up came a submarine. So you know, I got a submarine you, story too. Yeah, you, you think it's uh, all good to go, but you never know really what's going to happen. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're coming uh, across the Gulf of Maine, and uh, uh, this was a uh, Morris 42-day sailor, okay? This one actually has lifelines and a stove, and you can stand up in it. Very nice day sailor, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, brought it up from uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. And uh, so we're coming across the Gulf of Maine, and there's nobody out there except for us. And, and we went across the straight path there, the rum line, to save time and, and save fuel because the weather was going to change. and. We didn't want to mess around adding hours, coming in closer to the shore, making a longer path. So we're the only people out there. It's a nice uh, Monday in October. And here comes an Orion P-3 airplane, a submarine chaser. Oh, one of those things with a long stinger tail. Yeah, long, long tail, okay, yeah. a little pro- uh, propeller, uh, yep. four-propeller, four uh, big big plane. And uh, 
flies by us and then spends the next three hours crisscrossing our wake at, at right angles uh, doing search patterns where he'd go 10 miles out to starboard and come back 10 miles out to port. He'd be a little closer in, do the same thing again. He was, he was searching our wake for three hours. Huh. That's a long time, all afternoon, okay? And then he did two flybys right up our, right over us. Uh, this is just several hundred feet, too. Yeah, not, not very high at those all. Those guys could do go below. Yeah, I mean, uh, and we could have uh, possibly talked to him on the VHF radio, but we didn't do that, and we just kind of waved to him and, and wondered that uh, if we were not being used as a target, um, certainly by them, uh, they were probably out there looking for a submarine. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it was American submarine on, on exercises, but there still is the possibility in my story could have been Osama bin Laden on a <laughs> North Korean submarine, and they were hiding right under us. Yeah. Yeah, with Osama saying, keep us 60 feet under his keel and match his speed, you know, and, and that's why those people were flying over us looking for, you know, they were, they were definitely out there doing something, and we we're the only people in sight on the surface. So there's my submarine story. And yeah. Here's another one uh, from the Bangor Daily News just the other day. A rail... Rare blue whale was spotted off the Massachusetts coast the Sunday before last. And why this is significant was I was right there the Sunday before last. A rare blue whale, which is the world's largest whale, was spotted off of uh, Gloucester, off of Cape Ann. And I was just telling you, we came by there in our little Morris 36-day sailor that actual day. They spotted the uh, blue whale. We spotted, um, we thought it was a humpback, the biggest whale we've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Um, a very, very large whale, uh, just kind of breaching and lolling on the surface and going away from us. But uh, there we were in the, in the same soup, had no <laughs> idea. Yeah. Brush with greatness. So. And isn't the ocean kind of like that? You never know what's coming next, you mean? No. Uh, let's just philosophize for a moment. Uh, isn't the ocean, I mean, I'm spending too much time out, out uh, not reading in the middle of the night, you know, uh, just watching the autopilot drive the boat, thinking, you know what I'm saying? So isn't uh, life like the ocean in some respects and that you don't have to totally understand what's in it to get through it? Um, <laughs> you, know, we don't, I, you know, I had no idea that uh, I could have been oblivious to that submarine or that whale right. if it wasn't for the plane or the article in the paper. And we know so little about what's actually, uh, you know, in the ocean compared to we're skimming across the surface there, but, you know... Off like we that. go. I like that analogy. You, you don't need to know the whole thing about it just to get through it. And you're right. And I think uh, to extend that, too, you could say that you probably get through it the most easily if you make the least wake. Yeah, and then you're thinking, okay, I'm out here in a, uh, a, a 36-foot day sailor, quote-unquote, with no life raft and no dinghy, and what could go wrong? I could end up in the water and learn so much more yeah. about it, Okay, which, well, uh, you know, would, would uh, not be... So anyway, the phone's ringing. Let's give the number and, and uh, see yes. who's there. This is a, a call-in show. The number is one 625 9378 and we have a listener already. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hello, this is Captain Yo. Yo, how are you this morning? Fine, thanks. I'm glad to catch your show for the first time in months. Normally I'm on board this time of day. Yo, Yo belongs to a lot of people a, are bored this time of day. Yo, yo belongs to a, a little pinky schooner called Annie McGee who kind of... Annie, um, um, I like Annie a lot. I'm uh, very jealous. Annie's, like, say. That's I, correct. We're yeah. winding down our season. But I wanted to say uh, I didn't agree with you about reading on watch. All right. Particularly if you're the only person on deck. Which is generally the case. Generally yep. the case when you're doing deliveries and 
The first thing I tell everyone who comes on board is the most important thing to do on board after what the captain says is keep a proper lookout, and you simply cannot keep a proper lookout when you're paying attention to something on deck. In fact, it's best if your lookout is not tending helm at the same time. And my experience on the water is that things pop up when you're looking the other way. And it could be just a log. It could be a whale. I had a humpback surface in front of me, and he wasn't turning. And it's a lucky thing I saw him because I turned. Or a shipping container that's just barely a wash or, mm-hmm. or a submarine or, or who knows what. But just, you know, having your nose in a book, you're not keeping a proper lookout. And I also wanted to add that I've had that same experience with the uh, subchaser off Pemaquid. It was years ago. But I've had them do that same thing. They really seem to be circling my vessel as I sailed along. And I don't know if they were using me for a target or if I was in the way or what. But um, that's not a unique experience. Anyway, thanks for the time and for your great show, uh, and have a good day. Yeah, now, yo, uh, I I know that some people, uh, you know, I do boat deliveries for a... we get paid to do it, and it's generally two of us if we're certainly just going New England waters. Uh, from here to the Chesapeake, anyway, we'll go two people, watch on and watch off. It gets tiring after a little while. It gets, it's a strange rhythm. It's a strange job. But uh, you, you do have uh, time to kill. A lot of people um, will have two people up on a watch. I wouldn't know what they'd all do, to tell you the truth. Um, but like I say, you're out in the Gulf of Maine, and, and you're entirely by yourself, and you have uh, three hours to kill. It's... It's not a bad thing to have an Elmore uh, Leonard book or something, you know, basically a good page turner, in my opinion. So, still there? Yes, I, I agree. It can be damn tedious. And it's I also. What we call uh, panic boredom. Yeah, and I do agree, too, that things do pop up on a regular basis. Uh, it's surprising. We were eating dinner the other night and, uh, you know, thought there was nobody in sight, and I went to put the plates down. Where'd that boat come from? He wasn't, you know, we didn't see him come. We didn't see, uh, you know, uh, we were happily eating dinner. There was absolutely no problem. It was it was all uh, plenty of room and everything, but still, uh, you know. Suddenly, I'd, you're in I'd be the first person to point out that that uh, things do appear on seem to appear on the water, and it's the Andrea, Andrea Doria problem too. You know, you got the Andrea Doria and the Stockholm; they're out there on the big wide ocean, and you'd think that there'd be plenty of room for them, but they'd tend to run into each other just kind of naturally, wouldn't they? That's the way it seems. Yep. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, right, see you. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Yeah. Books on watch, uh, rare rare blue whales, and uh, you know we have no no uh, big agenda today for uh, the boat talk show, but uh, you know we're certainly interested in your call, and uh, we just uh, uh, riff on any subject here. For instance, uh, want to do raw faith for a minute? Yes, you yeah, said. Yeah, a little distressing there, a little distressing. Raw faith. I I got home from a boat delivery, and I got a great message on my on my answering machine. Somebody putting on a bit of a voice saying that that uh, raw faith, if they called it blind faith on the answer machine message, was seen out and about, sailing sailing the bay, sailing the high seas, rigged a pretty stout-looking rig and everything, you know, and anchored off of Northport. And uh, so I called George the other day, and I got him. He is anchored off of Lincolnville. And uh, 
George really didn't want to talk to me, and uh, he did not want to share um, any details about what's going on with Raw Faith, nor did he want to appear on the Raw on the uh, Boat Talk radio program again. And George, as you uh, may be aware, has had a little problem um, with the boat community, kind of integrating nicely into the boat community, and and uh, you know he's approached it from sort of a different different uh, point of view, his dream. And, uh, you know, he's, his interactions with some people in the local boat community haven't all been that smooth, and, and uh, George is, can be a little uh, obstinate sometimes, I guess, but as I pointed out, that's sort of the fella it takes to build that boat in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I called George the other day, and George was really not that amused to hear from me, although I got him to admit that I was the good one, okay, <laughs> that I mostly said good things about him. And he admitted that I was the good one and that the big problem was my friend Alan Sprague, who for some reason seems to have it in for raw faith and has an agenda to just put the boat down and that he can't be part of allowing you and anybody else to um, basically, um, he feels that the pattern is that we let him have his say, that we never, have n- never muzzled him or anything, certainly, but we let him have his say. And then, unfortunately, after that, other people come on and get the last word and get to backstab him on a regular basis, and he's not having any more of that. So, And I think that's real unfortunate because I see myself as George's friend. I have basically uh, stood up and spoken for him. And, uh, you know, um, if he's listening this morning, I would urge him to uh, maybe think about who his friends are, you know. And uh, even... Uh, you know, uh, it's this business about talking to your enemies, too. You kind of got to do that as well. You can't just unilaterally be out there on your own ocean, I don't think. So there's the Raw Faith Report. She's out of uh, Rockland Harbor. She is, the Coast Guard has signed off on, on the plans. George drew the rig himself. He has had some funding help, and he has put up uh, a couple masts that, by all accounts, the, uh, the wood and the wire are very, very stout. And he sailed there at least as far as Lincolnville. And uh, so if anybody knows any more about raw faith, and again, we don't want to be running George down. Um, I told George that that was the last thing I wanted to do was that kind of, you know, uh, backstab, ambush, kind of hang up on you and, and then run you down radio. That's, that's the last thing we want to do. But um, that's where we're at with raw faith. And I find it kind of regretful because, um, like I say, I've been talking to him for a long time. Um, you know, sort of friends of the family, and, and uh, George has taken kind of a hard attitude. He didn't hang up on me the other day, but he announced that he wasn't going to talk to me anymore. Hmm. Yeah, then I sort of hung up on him. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there's lots of people, lots of eyes out there, so we'll, yeah. still, we'll still keep tabs on And the phone's ringing, so. Yeah. Um, I have one little inter- interesting article that I could throw in here. Um, you and I are familiar with the boat building phrase, stick built, means... Um, when you're building a boat, rather than laying up fiberglass in a mold, you would actually, this is usually for decks and cabin tops, you'd frame up with wood or an actual deck and frame and houses and all that sort of stuff and, and then build plywood over it and glass that all over. That's what we call stick built. And uh, I just happened to run across a, little, a one paragraph little quick blurb in Latitudes and Attitudes Sailing Magazine about a guy in the Netherlands who has built a stick-built boat of, I guess you'd have to call it a stick-built boat, but it's very different. It's made entirely from ice cream sticks. 
So I'd like to hear uh, a little interview with this this fellow named Robert McDonald. Who's originally from Florida, but he is now in Netherlands. Here he is, Robert McDonald. Okay, I, I created the Sea Heart Foundation because I myself spent many, many long years recovering from burns after a house fire when I was a kid, and uh, I've kids are every friend I made actually around me were was dying at the time. And uh, a volunteer named Sarah, we call her Angel Sarah, me and the kids in, uh, who lived in that hospital, she came through and she gave me a toy. She would spot out different kids and she gave me a toy. And at that time I was alone and dying and no family around or nothing. And uh, this toy became my best friend. So I realized growing up there what a toy could actually do. It could save a life. And uh, from that point till now, I've been doing nothing but delivering toys. So many, I've lost count. I think somewhere around 20 million I've delivered from my hand to theirs. I'm hoping. I can yeah. only hope. I've only had one kid walk up to me recently, actually, and said, do you remember me? And uh, I said, no, it wasn't a kid anymore. It was an actual medical doctor. She said, you gave me a toy when I was a little kid. And it's like, ha-ha, I was passing through a hospital in Europe of all places. So it was kind of nice. That was a good feeling. Yeah. But it's the only time it's ever happened, so it made it worthwhile, actually. Right, and you said you you were actually in Bosnia too. Yeah, I I've been I take toys anywhere, and uh, at the time, I heard about a village that couldn't be reached by the United Nations by sea, air, by no direction because of the war at the time, all three sides. So I loaded up about twelve trucks uh, full of food and aid and supplies and toys, and I made an announcement that I was going to deliver all these trucks to all these refugee villages uh, during the war. Um, by Christmas Day, and uh, to the Muslims, to everybody, <laughs> Christians, Muslims, whoever, whatever religion, and I did it. By Christmas Eve, every truck was empty, and every refugee camp had what they needed. This is something I've done. I've been in about, I'm very, fairly fearless. <laughs> yeah. When I was living in the hospital, I decided at that time to create a Superman. That's all I could do is lay in bed, of course, and watch TV with my G.I. Joe that I was given. Mm-hmm. Only I decided the kids need a real-life Superman. Don't know if I accomplished it, but I managed to get into the Stuntman's Hall of Fame. I managed to deliver, like I said, about 27 or 30 million toys by now. The ship I recently created is a 45-foot-long ship, totally recycled, the only and largest recycled ship on the planet at the moment. Um, but it's just a tad different. It's made of 15 million Ice cream sticks. <laughs> How'd you get all those sticks? <laughs> well, you know, I made a national call over here in Europe. Kids, pick them up off the ground wherever you can. Send me your ice cream sticks. No, you got to remember, that was five years ago. Mm. They're still coming in by the train loads. <laughs> <laughs> I have a warehouse. I could actually build 15 more ships <laughs> pretty close to it. Huh. And they're still coming in. I see that some of them actually signed the sticks, too, so their name is in the book. That's right. I let kids sign the sticks and mail them to me. It's great. And uh, I still put them on. Uh, you know, it's just part of what I do. <laughs> the Sea Art Foundation, uh, I teach kids anything, absolutely anything is possible. Not, you know, I was called a handicap once, and I was out to prove that different. No, I'm not a handicap. <laughs> and one thing about it, when I was a kid, there was no real hero for kids. We had funny people on TV, you know, collecting money like Jerry Lewis and so on, but there was no kid who actually came out of a hospital bed. So I decided I was going to be at least the first one that I know about. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm still going strong. <laughs> right. 
So you, you've made this Viking boat out of 15 million popsicle sticks. Right. Um, from the pictures that I saw, it looks like the, your technique was uh, to laminate long planks out of, out of those sticks and then bend the planks on the frames. That's it. Well, we, I wanted to go directly as the Vikings did, as close as I could go. So I got my blueprints of an exact Viking boat from Denmark. Uh, then I set up, I had to build the planks. Of course, we, we weren't splitting oak trees. <laughs> we were using ice cream sticks. So I had to build molds, giant 45-foot-long molds. And I made one plank at a time. That's what took most of the time. Mm -hmm. And we did them in layers till they were about an inch thick. With epoxy? Uh, no, actually, it's not epoxy. It's something like epoxy. It's two components, but it's natural from trees. A glue company over here helped me uh, develop the oh, glue. A green epoxy. Uh, it's, what do you call it? A bio-epoxy, if you will. Yeah, yeah. It's not on the market, and uh, not yet, anyway. Huh. And uh, we had to develop it. So we used that and just layered the sticks. And uh, the best stuff about this is if it's under the water for more than half a year, let's say, for example, the ship sinks, the fish can actually eat it. <laughs> and it's actually good for them. <laughs> and it tastes like ice cream, too. <laughs> I guess. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, ice cream sticks, uh, they don't last forever anyway, except on my boat. <laughs> right. Well, they're encapsulated, so they'll last much longer. Quite a while, yeah. yeah. Are they mostly birch? Uh, yeah, they're completely birch wood. Yeah. So so you've made this Viking boat that, uh, from the pictures, has a uh, just a large square sail. Right. And, and um, are there long oars also like the Vikings? Yep. We have five-meter-long oars. Um, we used to have 36 oar hulls. We now have uh, six because we have electric engines on board now to ah. take up the difference. And we place two cabins on board mm -hmm. with the entire mission of the boat being to cross the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. From day one, that was the purpose. I, I told the kids, send me your sticks, and I'll thank you by crossing the Atlantic into world history. So now uh, the job is done. We're already sailing the boat. We sailed to England and back. Uh, we're testing the boat now, and we're getting prepared. We're heading to you, actually. Yes. <laughs> heading Are you going to come across to um, the northern way by way of Iceland and so forth? That's what we're doing. We're taking the exact Viking route from an old book and uh, drawings on windows and churches over in England. And we've mapped out a journey that's going to be as close as it can get. Are you going to get to Maine? We're heading right for Maine. Oh, wonderful. Well, <laughs> We're heading right for you. Yeah. Oh, that would be a fun. Oh, one thing to know about. Now, I have an international crew, and they come from all over the world. I am looking for a couple of American crewmates. Oh, okay. Yep, and uh, I, I take them, uh, wow, any age. So I'm looking for uh, an American crewmate. If somebody would like to uh, fly out here one day just for something to do and mm -hmm. sail back home. Hey, we're your people. Are you, you're probably, you're sort of going to be going against the current to come across the northern way, so you're probably going to be rowing at least part of the way, or are you going to use... We're going to be rowing a lot of the way. <laughs> we're going to be doing everything the Vikings did. Uh -huh. I can well, imagine we're going to take use of everything. Except for the electric motors. We're going, to, we're going to be using those as well if we have to. Do you have solar panels to keep those charged? We don't. <laughs> we're still, we're, we're probably the best thing on the market right now, this boat, because uh, of our Viking shields, our exact logos, or exact digital logos of our, of our sponsors. And our sponsors can be anybody. Joe Blow's gas station, we accept everybody. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's 100% for children. The boat has about 10,000 toys inside of it right now, which we're going to deliver along the way to different hospitals. 
and, well, we're Discovery Channel Movie as well, History Channel, Discovery Channel, National Geographic, everybody's jumping on board now. That's great. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We're constantly filming. We're going to be heading down to, uh, from you, we're going to be heading down to Key West, all the way into the Southern Caribbean, Key West. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's, why don't you give some contact information then for anybody who would either like to be part of the crew or make a donation to what you're doing. I thought, you know, oh, yeah. anybody can say hello to me at CaptainRob at Planet. Point NL. That's my email address, and that's also my MSN if you want to speak to the crew members live. That's cool, too. They're always on. So it's Captain Rob at Planet Point NL is my email. MSN, the works. Captain Rob at Planet dot NL. That was uh, Captain Rob, the captain of the Viking ship. He calls the name of the Viking ship is Thor, T-H-O-R. I was thinking, boy, after all, rowing all the way across the Atlantic, everybody on that boat's going to be very Thor. Where did, where did you run into him? Uh, just a little, uh, like I said, one one paragraph article with a little tiny picture, and it just happened to say a uh, Viking ship made from popsicle sticks. And so I uh, called him up. Yeah, well, yeah, did a little Google search, found him, and sent him a mail, and uh, he called up and said, yeah, I'd like to be on the radio. <laughs> Somebody else to worry about now, like say the popsicle stick uh, Vikings coming to. Uh... Yeah, but he, he's uh, kind of like Wheelsy in the fact that he is doing the risk. He's not taking children with him. On right. It. Yeah, I think that's a big difference. Well, and they've already sailed the boat uh, tangling and back, so it, it yeah. apparently is he, seaworthy. He has proven that it does work. Yeah, and um, he's got his track record of what twenty million toys here. So, you know, that all adds up to something kind of interesting, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. At first, uh, as my wife says, you have an affinity for the wackos, but uh, I think this guy is not one of the wacko category. I think it's a pretty uh, worthwhile project that he's doing. We will keep our eyes open, try not to read too much on watch, and see if we can spot that fellow before he spots us. <laughs> I have a feeling if he does make it over this far, and I think he will, that we'll be talking with him when he gets over here. The Vikings, you want to give them uh, plenty of room if they're coming down on you. You know, I would, I would think I would just uh, kind of try to go quite the other way. Uh, yeah. We were sailing along uh, a few years ago, I, I believe it was uh, in the uh, Fox Island thoroughfare over over that way, and and I see this boat coming, and I thought, oh, I, I bet that's a privateer. I bet she's uh, got heavier metal than we do too. And it was, uh, oh, uh, uh, spirit. Uh, Oh, the uh, one from Baltimore there. The Spirit of Baltimore? Spirit of Baltimore, I think, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, clearly a, a privateer recreation <laughs> uh-huh. coming right down on us, and you think we would have been so screwed if they were upset and had had their cannon loaded today, you know? Yeah. So give them Vikings a, w- a wide berth if you see them coming. one 9378 Yeah, just talking about whatever on Boat Talk this morning. Um, we... Um, well, you know, uh, we can talk about lobsters for a couple minutes, and, and uh, it's really not a good thing. Here's That's an article right. from a couple weeks ago saying a herring shortage has lobstermen in a trap, and that, oh. um, <laughs> you know, the uh, herring situation was, was uh, really quite desperate, and the only stuff was Canadian, and, and um, yeah. so they've added some more um, days at sea to catch herring to supply bait. Um, the price of bait being up, the availability being down, price of fuel, all that kind of stuff. Price but of that's not the real problem here right now. Yeah, lack of demand. Lack of demand, supply and demand. Um, the uh, boat price of lobster has crashed uh, like 20% in the last couple of weeks. And the boys are getting 
as little as two dollars and a quarter Whoa. for a, a pound of lobster. And uh, last year was up around uh, four forty-four or so. Yeah, it was a long time since yeah. it's been that low. Uh, like twenty, thirty years maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, Wonder Bread just doesn't cost what Wonder Bread used to twenty and thirty years ago as well. Yeah. So um, they are uh, really in extremis right now. And it is, in fact, a, a great example of supply and demand. And uh, the demand is uh, non-existent right now, and there's more lobsters out there than have a place to go. Now, there's a couple interesting things there. Lobsters are pretty perishable. You really don't want to be stuck with the care and feeding of a lobster for more than a little while mm-hmm. um, if you're trying to sell them to somebody. Yeah. You Even know. when you car them up, you still get a loss. Yeah. Um, so there is... Um, the other surprising aspect is that uh, I don't think people understand completely is that 70 to 80 percent, they say, of our catch of lobsters goes down east from here, goes down to Canadian wharfs, okay, and gets flash frozen. And uh, they have uh, government, um, government wharfs down there with government underwritten uh, plants on the ends of them, and they process lobster meat, and that's where 80 percent of our lobster catch goes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they're having a hard time right now. They have got more lobster meat than they need. Mm. They also have financed, seeing how it's all, uh, uh, what do you call that, globally related nowadays. Um, the Nova Scotia um, processing people are financed with Icelandic banks. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. The Iceland uh, banking system is in a terrible fix right yeah, now because they've got too far away from fish and more into, uh, you know, uh, these financial derivatives and stuff. So um, the a- economic crisis is is coming through Iceland to Nova Scotia down to the coast of Maine nowadays. And, and uh, you know, the other point would be that the job of a fisherman is not really to catch a fish. Right. It's to sell it. Catching the fish really doesn't is really not that big a deal if you can't sell it to anybody. Right. The job is selling the fish, not catching it. So market. Well, that's the way it goes. We do have a phone call, so let's uh, let's go to that. Good morning, and welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. My name's Steve Randall. I'm from Milesboro. Hi, Steve. And I've got like a comment, and then also a question. I don't know if you're familiar with the case that took place this summer about the fatality on Long Lake down in Naples, Maine. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yes, it's been uh, kind of an ugly scene there. They've had it for a while, a bunch of these, I don't know, for, for lack of better words, I call them the penis bow predators. And uh, they feel that by owning a 30 or 32-foot boat, they can toss away, can do. Anyways, let's get on to what we were talking I was originally talking about it. Compensators. We, we call them compensators. Oh, there you go. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I'm just amazed that this guy was not, you know, tried criminally. I was always under the impression, no matter where you were, as a skipper of your boat, you're responsible for its safe operation. And, uh, of course, his excuse was that the lights weren't on, but contrary to that, the divers were down there on the boat and found, yes, the light switch was on. And the other thing, the bone of contention I bring up is that he claims he was doing just barely 30 miles an hour, yet... Somehow that 32-foot boat managed to prop. Is it possible for propellers to walk along the beach and <laughs> push it three-quarters of a length of a football field no. up, yeah. into the, up into the woods? One of a good way is up into the woods. Um, that happened uh, just down the lake from my sister's camp. I'm, I'm uh, pretty familiar with that lake there. 
Oh, okay. It's sure. A, it's a bit of a scene. Uh, you have uh, the causeway in downtown Naples. Yep. Where there's a swing bridge or a drawbridge, and, sure. and you can go down Songo River into um, um, Sebago all Lake way, and stuff. All the way to Sebago Lake. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the causeway and all the little shops there and stuff, and the rental sure. boats. Yeah. And people in parachutes uh, being trailed behind boats. The sure. Songo River Queen. You've got these. Uh, they look like a big. Plastic tricycles, and they got these big plastic wheels, and you sit on those, and you pedal them like a tricycle. They're yep. kind of like water water uh, trikes. Sure, sure. And the reason I'm uh, um, I'm, set, I'm trying to set the scene here, it's a bit of a zoo there. Oh, definitely. Even Donna. at night, yep. there is a surprising amount of boat traffic um, going up and down that lake, definitely. and um, not not everybody knows how to a keep a night watch, let alone uh, you know. Um, they know basically nothing. Well, they're running around on a lake. They're not, uh, let's yeah. say, it's, you know, seamanship's not. Kind of scary. It's been in the past. I was When I was living down there, I was active with the local sailing group, the uh, Lake Region Sailing Club, and uh, we staged a number, you know, races and stuff during the summer. And a number of times we had one of these idiots blast right through the middle of the fleet, and, you know, there's more than enough room to go to either side of the fleet. You know, and there's there's little kids out there and lasers and, you know, very small boats as well as, you know, up to 22 feet or whatever. Yeah. I used to Anyways, I'm going to hang up and uh, go out and listen to you guys. They, uh, Thanks for the call. Sure. The uh, jury was split on the charges, too. They uh, convicted him of manslaughter, but um, um, he got he got a bit of a... Um, they convicted him of the uh, drunken, uh, drunken operation thing, but not the manslaughter, I believe. Mm-hmm. They didn't get him on an, an, an intent charge um i used to live seven miles down the bay from from ellsworth okay and there was a boat called orange crush and uh twin 437s or some such you know and when she'd get ramped up in ellsworth there you could hear her at my house and i think that's a bit much you know and it's like some of these i'm sorry boys some of these harley davidsons too they're too freaking loud yeah in my opinion so anyway uh, we're doing boat talk this morning. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number in there. We just got a message from Betsy, who is at work in Korea. Says uh, lobsters now down to two dollars a pound. Yeah, and that's like Korea, Maine, not Korea, uh, right. Far yeah. East Asia Korea and stuff, sea. and that's really not good. The um, like I say, the the uh, price of lobster has just basically crashed. The inventory is. Uh, Still, still uh, quite up there, and like I said, you don't want to have a lot of lobsters that that need to be fed and and kept alive. Um, you know, they can be a, li- a liability um, uh, to store and to keep. I think we ought to do our thing for the local fars- lobster fishermen and go buy some lobsters ourselves. Well, here's another little story: uh, lobster price crisis. Focus a meeting tonight uh, down to Deer Isle. This is from today's Bangor Daily News, and down to the Reach Performing Arts Center. They're going to have a uh, Community lobster crisis meeting tonight for, uh, you know, just get everybody on the same page. This weekend they had a Eat a Lobster, Save a Community Lobster Bake last Sunday that uh, they were giving out lobsters for three fifty each at the Stonington Pier. Thousands of people came, and they said they went through 5,000 lobsters. Eat a Lobster, Save a Community. So. <laughs> Well, that's kind of a happy tale, isn't it? Yeah, well, there he goes again. Um, I am uh, also have been making the point repeatedly that I think the water is changing here nowadays. Well, that would go back to the blue whale, too. 
Yes, it would, my friend. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. The blue whale. I, I agree with you. Blue whales generally are way to the north of here. Yeah. They do uh, uh, Canada and Iceland kind of waters, uh, Greenland kind of things. That this is not their usual habitat. They come here very, very occasionally. Now, um, you know, the water's changing. Uh, it's warming up and stuff. And again, I do boat deliveries. And to the southern of here, there is just no. Uh, I, I shouldn't say no because there is some. Uh, fishing gear still in the water, lobster lobster traps and stuff, but very, very little. Mm-hmm. And it has declined, um, you know, about three quarters in the, in the last, let's say, ten years. Uh, the boys in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, Long Island Sound, they want to do a study in Long Island Sound of how undersea cables will will affect lobsters crawling along the bottom. Maybe they'll act like a fence, and the lobsters might not want to cross that undersea cable hmm. if it has, um, you know, a sufficient amount of, of power in it. Yeah, a certain EMF around yeah, it. Yeah, and they have one in Long Island Sound now that is providing 20-degree uh, compass uh, deviations to people who sail over it. That's how much juice is in this cable, okay? Boy. Very, very high-charge cable, not, not your average, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so anyway, they can't find enough lobsters to study down in Long Island <laughs> Sound. That's not a good thing because they, you know, they've always been there, mm-hmm. and things are changing. And that's not just uh, taking into account Icelandic banks and Nova Scotia fish piers and and that sort of thing, you know. So uh, interesting time in the lobster world nowadays. Yeah. Well, the uh, let's uh, talk about uh, while we're out in the Gulf of Maine still. Um, the big, big uh, thing in the Congress nowadays is to open up the offshore areas for drilling. Drill, baby, drill. Oh, yeah. You know, we got to uh, get the gas back uh, in the stations for a price we can all afford. Is the, you know, it's, um, it can be argued that there's a little bit of, of uh, a time lag, deception kind of, you know, it's not all what it seems, and there's plenty of areas where they're not drilling and all that kind of stuff. But, but the point being that the, uh, the Senate and the House have voted um, you know, and they're going to open up all these drilling areas. But um, here's a little note that said the Canadians are very um, concerned with George's Bank and the Gulf of Maine and that they have a drilling moratorium that will be going on until January 2010, and they don't want the Americans doing anything out there. And here's a fella in uh, Massachusetts, uh, Edward Markey, uh, Senator uh, Democrat from uh, Massachusetts, He is uh, wanting to extend the moratorium for drilling on George's Bank so that if we were open to offshore drilling, for instance, we would not be drilling, let's, for instance, on George's Bank. Right. Or I would think that would extend. uh, He's also tried to include Stellwagen Bank on that, which is the inside of Cape Cod where we see all the whales. Basically our garden out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have two calls. Yeah. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. This is Gray from Hancock. Morning, Gray. How are you today? Good to hear you guys. I uh, wish you were a little more often, but anyway, uh, two things. One, uh, 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 the first one was about the lobsters, and I haven't heard much recently about the uh, the, the floating rope, sinking rope regulation flap, and you can tell me about that later if you remember it. The other thing is about the, this offshore oil thing, and I'd just like to point out that uh, it sounds logical and reasonable yeah, we we should we should increase our oil domestic oil production, but the problem is the way this world system works. We don't get to keep our domestic oil production; it goes elsewhere. Right now, as I speak, thirty percent of domestic refinery 
stuff is going overseas somewhere else. We are not going... The only way we could, we could keep our domestic oil production would be is if we never imported another drop. And then we could back out of all the international agreements and arrangements that require us to, uh, to ship uh, our oil production overseas. Besides the fact that this isn't going to be online for another 10 years at least, or whatever, uh, the best thing we can do to, uh, to uh, decrease dependency on uh, foreign oil is decrease our overall dependency on oil, and that means con- conservation and uh, more efficient use of it. And those are the two things we should be putting our energy and our effort into. And there may come a time in the future when we need that oil for something other than burning it up in SUVs that's a lot more important than that. And um, it's better to leave it in the ground where it's not doing anybody any harm and to, uh, and, and to not just burn up the last drop before we realize, realize what all the things it's good for. Anyway, that's my rant about the ocean for today. All right. Thank you, Gray. Thank you, Gray. And uh, the number here is 1-866-625-9378. We got a fax, some some pictures of Raw Faith here, and she is looking good with her uh, three masts and her uh, sails up. Got to thank uh, Howard down to Camden there. And and like I say, just uh, totally enjoyed the message there, Howard. Thank you. All right. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's uh, Jeff over in uh, Hey, Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing? Did I hear you fell off a ladder and didn't bounce good? I, I, I knew you'd bring that up first thing, Mike. <laughs> I heard you got hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's all part of uh, it's all part of what happens, you know. Unless you so, get for uh, not having your boat in the water, huh? Oh, I know. It's, it's dangerous going up and down those ladders, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, it, it's big when I, when I thought I was wagging, and uh, next thing I knew. But uh, actually, I'm, I'm back on the boat today, and. Uh, we're uh, getting the new engine all lined up, and uh, so uh, and I gotta say, you know, Mike, uh, you kind of put me in mind of uh, Captain uh, Peter P. Peachfuzz there bringing boats north in the uh, in the fall. You know, uh huh. You're swimming uh, upstream there. I know. <laughs> and uh, one of the fellows I go with, he has a little. Uh, he says it has to be something kind of big and kind of nice to get us out there in October. And then we ended up doing a series of increasingly smaller day sailors, ending up with, uh, like, say, the Morris 36 doesn't even have a stove, let yeah. alone going forward to in the night to adjust the jib cars. Boy, your butt feels naked when you're going, you're going forward on that boat and you're out there and there's, you know, nothing but a grab rail to hold. Nothing on to. but a grab rail. Yes, it. Uh, <laughs> but it was. Uh, they are great little boats, and and everybody really likes them. Uh, the people on the fuel dock and yeah. stuff really do, uh, the Morrises do turn the heads. Um, a fisherman spoke to me the other day off the south side of Vinalhaven, which is just pretty much unprecedented. And at first I thought it was because my boat was so pretty, you know. He called you on the VHF? No, he uh, actually kinda, kind of uh, swung over. He was uh, hauling some traps. Now, we were coming on an inside route here, and normally if I was coming back from Portland, I would go inside of Monhegan and then outside of Isla Ho. But we decided that in the effort to get there before it got dark, we would just skin across the uh, south side of Vinalhaven, uh, the, the seaward side. And it's just junky as heck in there, all these rocks and, mm. and buoys. Oh, that, oh, it's a terrible oh, area. There's, oh, yeah, it's thick, it's thick with bricks. There. Yeah, some places where you've got to be on the one side of the red buoy and then the next buoy's on the other side. It doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm wending my way through there. 
and uh, mainsail's up, and I'm driving the boat. And uh, the fellow came over and says, you know, there's a lot of wedges in here, don't you? I said, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, yes, I do, and I'm trying to skirt around him. And it's pretty rare that, uh, like I say, he would he – would, uh, even offer a, a little suggestion, yeah. Yeah, man. you'd think yep. they they uh, tend to, you know, enjoy others. Uh, I wouldn't say misery. <laughs> well, you know, and uh, but I, I do appreciate it. But it was kind of rare, and I thought that was because my boat was so pretty. Maybe it was because I was the only person out there. Hmm. So. Well, I was gonna say, you know, you're doing the Viking stuff, you know, this time of year, and in, in boats like that, you know, which uh, any time you put yourself out there like that, you know, and you're uh, that much closer to uh, the water and, and all that, you know, people. Uh, it bring, brings out the brotherhood of, you know, the people on the sea, you know. It's different different than being out there in the 100-footer, you know. Right. It is, and uh, I'm sort of actually hoping the, you know, the boat delivery season. I've, I've had I had a couple of uh, really good intense little sails, and, and we did some uh, stuff in the night, you know, that uh, uh, got confusing for a few minutes there because it was so freaking dark, and, and so I've had mine Ooh. for this season, and it's cold and wet out there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, so I did pass you the other day. You are back at work. You're not. Oh, I'm back, back working on the boat, but uh, um, remains to be seen. You know, it's, it's pretty hard times for the uh, boat building industry on Mount Desert right now. And, uh, you know, but I, that is what I called about. But, um, well, I don't know, maybe not. You know, Alan would know better. But, hey, i got to say, well, first of all, I think uh, you're getting into some good, good practice and training to go on that, uh, that Viking crossing, you know, across the north area. Now, that would be something. That, that guy I thought was really inspiring and uh Really ingenious. He you does know, seem and, to have his act together after talking to him, yes. Yes, when he talks about laminating up those sticks, but I just want to know what he's using for uh, some kind of non-toxic... Uh, well, yes, I, I'm, I am an emailing him and trying to get information on the company that made that stuff, and hopefully we'll have some more information on that for you next show. I don't yeah, see myself pulling an oar all night with a headlamp and, a, and a, like a harmonica rack trying to read <laughs> Nelmore Leonard book or something, you know? Yeah. I That's just, funny, because I picture you right there, Mike, you know, especially you... You got no. your headlamp on, you know. No. You got your harmonica. You got your. I don't your see that. You're reading and. No. <laughs> and uh, now, what, what we haven't, what we haven't uh, mentioned specifically, and Jeff's just sort of alluded to, um, hard times in the boat industry uh, right now, and it's gone from pretty good times, pretty, pretty, pretty quick. The Hinkley Company of Southwest Harbor, arguably uh, Southwest Harbor in the world nowadays, uh, laid off 52 people last week. Mm-hmm. 52 people, including quite a swath of uh, supervisor-type people. Yeah, people with a lot of uh, experience. A lot of experience and, and a lot of benefits in pay. And they're, um, the Hinkley Company is owned by a uh, Fortune 500 company now whose their job is making money. Yeah. They're not like sort of like the old boatyard with the wood stove where they'll be sitting around going, boys, we like to keep you on for the winter because we know the spring, you know. It's not like the village and the community and the boatyard yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, not, things really have changed that way. It is, it is a little bit of a microcosm of uh, what goes on with the global economy and money, you know, pyramiding toward the top and, and you know, corporations spreading out the bottom and or spinning out the bottom, a little both, you know. But, but actually, uh, what, I, what I call it about is maybe a little bit off the topic, but, but not quite so. Is, uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, it's Columbus Day, and I, and I just want to tip, tip my hat to uh, one of the uh-huh. great cruising sailors at all time, and uh, it started last week, because I thought you guys were on last week, you know, because of the, the funny schedule, but it was, uh, it was the ism prism, and, and she started out talking about Columbus, and uh, and, and, and I'm, I totally agree with her, you know, how, uh, you know, Columbus really, following Columbus, introduced all the ills of, uh, 
European, you know, uh, greed. You know, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, all, all, all that stuff. You know, we all know. You know, I mean, there's a picture of the idyllic world, and actually, a lot of the places uh, Columbus went, he thought he was in Eden, but but you know, he thought he was in, like the biblical Eden. It was so the, the people were so idyllic, and the settings, and and the the bounty of, of uh, the land and all, but. Um, I, I just want to say that uh, you know Columbus himself was uh, was not a man like that, and and he he made friends with and and uh, had a great respect for and, and admiration for uh, uh, the indigenous people that he met along the way, and th- and there were other there were other Spaniards who who were like that, and um, who tried, but uh, and this is what I was thinking it, it goes to today being you know, and and, and I'll say that pretty much. Everything uh, I know about Columbus this way, uh, and this goes back to Mike's thing about bringing books with him, was uh, from a you know Mount Desert sailor, you know uh, Samuel Morrison, you know from uh, Northeast Harbor, who wrote the uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning and just just a great story. And he sailed, literally sailed to uh, just about every every one of the harbors that uh, Columbus sailed into. So he he really saw Columbus's voyage uh, in the eyes of the sailor, and it really is remarkable the way he worked those. Uh, uh, ships in and out of uh, these tiny little uh, Caribbean harbors with no engines and uh, very little ability to sail to windward and and um, but uh, there, there, there were a lot of people who were with Columbus and you know, followed Columbus who uh, saw anybody you know who wasn't in the Spanish mold you know was uh, you know uh, not worthy and 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 you know the way uh, they were talking about it last week was like. It was a problem back then, you know, with the uh, um, people's mindset then. But, gosh, you know, you watch uh, the political scene now, and uh, it's really not much difference. You, know, you really you really have to look at individuals back then, and in any period of history, you know, you really have to look at the individual. Less sword play, thank, thank goodness. Well, less sword play, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the nationalism now, I just don't think it's any different than the, than the nationalism and the, those kind of attitudes that... Uh, the Spaniards and a lot of the Europeans had the ones who came who didn't have respect for other cultures and other people's, uh, you know, total different, you know, ways of life. You Is know? that still going on? <laughs> well, <laughs> are we talking about sweatshop Lager? Yes. Well, yeah. and uh, you know, those are cruel times. And and uh, uh, Columbus made what three journeys? And the last one, uh, I think it was he. He uh, went back to Spain in, in irons, or maybe it was the second one in the bilge, you know, yep, to kneel yep. before the queen. Yep. And uh, William, if you're interested in the Columbus story, uh, I think the best telling uh, nowadays is William Least Heat Moon wrote oh, Blue wow. Highways. Okay. He wrote a wonderful book, just uh, it's a couple of years old now, and he, he's an Indian, of course, and he wrote it sort of from that perspective. And, well, I never heard that one. Yeah, no, and it's uh, extraordinarily well told and uh, gets right into all the politics of it. Like I say, uh, Columbus wasn't always, uh, you know, kneeling nicely before the queen, uh, hoping to keep yeah. his head sort of thing, let alone his job and his boats. Yeah. 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 Well, Jeff, we're, uh, we're coming up against the, the hour here, and we got one more call we'd like to squeeze in. So. Okay, well, I'll get off. Yeah, thank good you. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah, good talking to you. Good morning. You're the last person on Boat Talk. Welcome to Boat Talk. The last person. I guess some kind of a word. No, no. Hey, this is Jim over in Burnham, and uh, I give you guys the update on the uh, AR True rocket. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, last season I donated it to the uh, Unity Barn Raisers, yep. a local community building mm-hmm. group. Yeah. Unity and uh, 
Greg Russell. Volunteers uh, restoring it, and we got it launched last year and uh, got it in the water again this year and had a lot of fun with it, uh, just on Unity Pond. And I got something like 30 people out on it and uh, ranging in age from like 6 to 82. Excellent. So she spent some time actually out doing sail, doing what it wants to do. That's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it looks better than ever, and uh, yeah. it's just been a, a lot of fun. Uh, being involved with this, and uh, I think it's a nice way to to have a boat if you can get a bunch of people together to kind of share the efforts and don't hang, get hung up on the ownership of it. Uh, mm, seems to be a lot more fun. Boats need people as well as people need boats sometimes. Uh, Points East Magazine, for instance, uh, has a uh, need and want crew kind of thing in the back back end of it. Uh, yep. People, if you're uh, Looking for a cruise and you don't see yourself on the Viking ship, for instance, see yourself on a nice yacht. Um, what a wonderful thing, because you were, you know, uh, needing to figure out how to fix that up for yourself and, and what to do with it. And Yeah, it was languishing. So. Yeah, and it just become bigger than you and and itself. Oh, yeah, it was just neat to see the volunteers get together and, and people that didn't need, know each other form connections that go beyond the, the boat, and it's, it's just kind of... Uh, nice thing all around us. Well, thank you very much for that update there, Jim. We appreciate that. And the Unity Barn Raisers are a good group. We recommend anybody who do, in the area to connect with them. Yeah, and they've also got a youth boat building program going on. It's all filled up for this season, but uh, I don't know. No. I think Wonderful it's thing. Going. Yeah. Mm. And uh, just uh, one more thing is uh, last time I called you guys, I had a broken fiberglass boat. That, that bike you just told me it, it couldn't be fixed, and and. My God, you're wrong. Oh, it can always be fixed. It's well, just it a matter of how much trouble. Yeah. No, it, it easily came back to its shape, and uh, just adding wooden gunnels and uh, looks better than ever, and uh, the guy that owns it is completely happy. Well, good for you. Just talk, sheer joy. Just talked with a uh, fellow who um, restored a 12-and-a-half. It's his, it's his hobby. Oh, yeah. uh, Hairshoff 12 and a half, and he was complaining how hard it was to do the Kielsen and stuff. And you go, well, if you just started with a Kielsen, it still would have been hard, but not as hard, you know, there as you trying to dig one out and, and, like, say, work around it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I so, realize it would have been more interesting if I called up with a disaster story, but well, no, all good news. That's a good one. We like happy boat stories sometimes. Right. Uh, we never got to talking about the, uh, the little... Uh, Fiberglass boats that Dick Baldwin let off of Newfoundland and have uh, sort of disappeared off the map, uh, being tracked on the computer there. And also, Linda Greenlaw got arrested for sword fishing in Canadian waters. Mm. She was on a boat with a film crew out of Massachusetts. And uh, so anyway, we didn't quite get to that. Who knows what boat talk will be about next week, uh, next month, uh, second Tuesday as always. If you want to stay tuned, uh, coming up next is Jim Bahoosh and on the wing on Community Radio.